Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello, and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey the show where we are giving you the how-to to to get the best out of you. And today I am very, very lucky to be talking with Dr. Justin Coulson, one of Australia's leading parenting experts from happyfamilies.com.au. So welcome, Dr. Justin Coulson. Thanks, Kerry. So I would love for you to share with the listener a little bit about how you came to become one of Australia's leading parenting experts and a little bit about the work that you do. So tell us all about that. Sure. It's a, it's a bit of an uncomfortable story story for me to tell, but I think that it's important uh, that, that people understand how, how it happened. I, I didn't actually set out to become a parenting expert. When I was younger, I was a radio announcer. I spent about a decade in the radio industry um, working around the country, ended up at uh, Brisbane's B105 where oh, we wow. played all today's best music while you worked. And um, <clears throat> while, I, while I was working there, um, my, my job really entailed lots of, um, well, hanging around with global superstars. I mean, I, I used to, you know, I'd be backstage with someone like Ronan Keating or um, in the studio with John Mayer or Anastasia or Gwen Stefani. You know, it was that kind of that kind of job and going out to the Swiss restaurants and, and doing all that sort of stuff. And so I was I was enjoying some some nice privileges and some some wonderful status, but at home I had two little baby girls, a three-year-old and a newborn. And what I was discovering was that while I might have been competent in my nine-to-five, everything outside of that was kind of falling apart. Uh, and and particularly my relationship with my three-year-old, I I didn't know how to deal with her. I thought, like most dads probably think, that if I just kind of told her to stop doing things that bothered me, that she would. And and anyone that's dealt with a three-year-old for more than about three minutes knows that that's not yes. really how it works. And yes. so I found myself behaving in ways towards her that were not consistent with my personal values and, and not consistent with what I think makes for a good parent. And even though I didn't know anything about parenting, I knew that I wasn't being a good one. And I, I had a particularly bad episode with with my eldest one particular day and um I just treated her poorly uh terribly embarrassingly badly and I'm sure that if anybody had seen the way I treated her uh that there would have been all sorts of phone calls and reports made I mean I I I didn't do anything to injure her but if you were watching it 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 certainly would have looked absolutely awful um yelling screaming threatening slamming doors smacking all that kind of thing 
Um, and, and I remember once she finally went to sleep on this particular afternoon where I was in charge of putting her to sleep, and, and clearly I didn't do a very good job, I walked into the backyard and I just, I, I, I just felt so bad, uh, Carrie. I felt like I'd, I felt like I'd really, really proven that I had no idea how to be a dad, and that that began a chain of really interesting events where I started to research a lot about parenting. And a short while later, I talked to my wife about how she would feel if I quit my radio job and went back to school so that I could learn how to be a dad. Wow. And so I quit. Wow. I, I gave up this, um, this, this pretty cool job, really, so that I could go and do a year at TAFE and then four years at university. I graduated with a first-class honours in psychological science and discovered something really interesting as I did my undergrad psych degree, and that was that when you do psychology at uni, you still don't really learn anything about That's parenting. Right. yes. And so, so I, I kind of said at the end of that five years of study full-time, and by then we had four daughters, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, We've gone from two to four in that in that subsequent five years. Um, I said to my wife, you know, I've done this five years of study, but I still don't know nearly enough about parenting. Um, and so we discussed what I would do after graduation. And and I, I moved to Wollongong with my family, and we took on a PhD. Uh, so I did my I did my doctorate at the University of Wollongong and became a doctor of psychology. And all I studied was parenting and what we call positive psychology or the study of what makes life most worth living. I wanted to know what makes life most worth living for parents and for families. And so um, along the way, we had our fifth daughter um, and, uh, and, and I wrote a book just after I finished my PhD. It was called What Your Child Needs From You. Um, and, uh, and, and after I'd stayed on at the uni for a little while, maybe 12 or 18 months, I quit. Uh, I decided I'd had enough of sitting in an office looking at numbers and doing statistics about um, parenting, and I decided I wanted to go and teach the rest of the world what I'd learned because it changed my family, and it made our family a different place to be than what it would have been otherwise. I, I really don't believe that my wife would have wanted to stick with me if I stayed being the kind of dad that I was, uh, and we certainly wouldn't have the six daughters that we now have had I <laughs> kept on going the way I was going. So... That's that's a little bit about, I, I guess, who I am and, and what I do and why I do it. I do it because I love my kids too much to keep on being the dad that I was. And I love my wife too much to be the dad that I was. And I needed to change something. And so I spent eight and a half years full-time studying so that I could figure out how to do it better. Um, and, and these days I, I, I write for kidspot.com.au. Um, I'm on the TV fairly regularly talking about um, parenting. And my next book comes out in February with ABC Books, and it's going to be called 21 Days to a Happier Family. Wow. I mean, there's been some really profound moments. I, I think that there has. Um, but I think that in everybody's family, we, we have those moments, Carrie. Uh, we just need to be alert and attentive to them and, and be willing to respond to them. Exactly. So, so was there the point that you really felt differently now that you've done all the study about being a father? Um, I, I think I've, well, I've fallen in love with it. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be in love with it in the early days, um, but it was really hard and it still is. It's, it's tremendously hard. Uh, but, but I, 
I, I just relish those opportunities to be with my children now. Um, running a business, having six kids and, and living a very busy life. I travel all over the countryside giving talks in schools and in organisations and, and what have you in businesses about well-being and, and about parenting and family life, um, either together or as separate topics. And so with all of the travel and with all of the work and writing books and articles and, and so on, it, it's it's a pretty tough life to balance, especially as a parenting expert. Sometimes my kids have to remind me, Dad, aren't you a parenting expert? Are you are you really supposed <laughs> to be doing that right now? Um, but but it's a it's a wonderful life, and um, and I'm grateful for it. And it has changed. Maybe I'm sure it has changed the way I feel about being a dad. But it's also changed who I am as a dad, and I think that that probably matters more. Yeah. So what do you think people are most afraid of when it comes to being, you know, I mean, I think we talk about good enough parenting from a clinical perspective, but what what do you think people are most afraid of when it comes to them judging their own parenting? I think that inside each of us, there is a genuine, uh, I don't know if it's a fear or if it's a belief, uh, but I think there's something inside most of us where we, we kind of, we all know that we're getting it wrong. We all know that we're making it up as we go. Even those of us who are experts, we're still making a lot of it up. You know, we, we know what the research says. We know what the blogs say we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we know what the experts tell us we should do. But when we get into the, the thick of it, sometimes it's really hard to remember that. And I, and, and I think that parents' biggest fear is that they're going to stuff it up, get it wrong, and then... One day in 15 years, the kids are going to say, you remember that time when you did that? That, that just ruined me. Um, <clears throat> maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, but we, but we do. We, we stress out about getting it wrong. And, uh, and we're really hard on ourselves as a result of that. And I don't think that it's good for us or for our children. And I see that sometimes in the therapy room as well, a parent struggling with um, an adult child who perhaps they have decided or even the courts have decided um, that their child isn't a good enough parent or has got themselves into a spot of bother and often the parent will blame themselves. I guess the approach that I have had is that it's often a perfect storm, that of course our parenting is quite critical but as our children um, leave our influence, there can also be quite a lot of other influences that come in, whether it's their peer group or... There's a very noisy plane flying overhead at the moment. I don't know if you can hear that. But anyway, but other influences, that perfect storm that, that affects the way that our, our children see themselves and see who they want to um, have as their peer group and the, the choices that they make. What would be your opinion there? Oh, I I'd, I'd tend to agree with you, Carrie. We, we tend to blame ourselves as parents for a lot of things that are well beyond our control. Um, our, our children will make their own decisions and anyone who's dealt with a toddler knows that, let alone a teenager or a 20-something. Uh, and once it gets to a certain point in that child's life, they need to take responsibility. They need to own it. They've got to be accountable for their own decisions. Uh, I am the way I am partly because of the way I was raised, as we all are. But I didn't have to. I mean, my parents weren't bad parents by any stretch, but I could choose to you know, blame them for being the kind of dad that I was 15 years ago or 20 years ago, or I could make a decision and change it. And as an adult, that was my, my, my choice. I needed to make a decision and change it. I know far too many adults who are still living in the past and saying, well, if my 
parents haven't yelled at me or hit me or abused me or done any of the other sometimes devastating and tragic and inexcusable things that some parents have done or allowed to happen to their children, I wouldn't be the way I am. I think that there's truth in that to some extent. However, we can change it starting today if we want to, if we are willing to forgive, get past things, just look at the future and let go of the past. We, we, we actually can change that. And um, quite often when I'm talking to parents, the stuff that I talk to them about is you got to let go of what your parents did to you. you got to let go of the way your parents raised you. Work out what kind of a parent do you want to be and start to be that parent because you can break the cycle if you want to. You can, you can be a proactive, intentional, good parent who is engaged and who is raising resilient responsible, happy children if you're willing to make the sacrifices and the decisions to do it. And, and, and I believe that I stand as living proof of that. Yes. So what about just shifting gears here a bit and your work or research in positive psychology? I might be putting you on the spot a bit here, but what are your some of your favourite parts that where positive psychology speaks to parenting? Because just uh, you talked about the future and making decisions. What parts of positive... Yeah. Well, well, positive psychology, for those who aren't familiar with it, is, is really, it's the study of what makes life worth living. It's looking at what makes for a, a well and whole life. So it's not about happyology. It's not about saying, you know, what makes me smile all the time. It's about what helps me to live a life that at the end of my life, I can look back and say, this was a good life. This has been worthwhile. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for my life. And I think that, I mean, my next book is actually all about that. So I've got, I've got 21 different things that we can do <laughs> yep. that are positive psych related. And I know that you did put me on the spot and this isn't a, meant to be a huge plug for my book, but uh, <laughs> yep. it, it's kind of what I've just written an entire book about. Let me go through a couple of things. Number right. one, um, goals. We've got to actually know what we're trying to achieve um, so that we can live a good life. And I watch, I watch a lot of parents uh, and a lot of people generally just kind of go with the flow and they just do what they do because it's what they've always done and there's no intentionality or questioning of what they're doing. They just do it. Let me give you a really simple example. A lot of families that I know, they'll sit down and they'll watch TV while they're having dinner uh, and they'll watch the news and then they'll watch A Current Affair or you know one of those awful TV shows and then they'll kind of you know, they just do what they're doing quite thoughtlessly or they'll sit around the table and they'll surf the internet or look at Facebook or whatever. And and I would say to those families, and this is just one example, why are you doing that? What else could you be doing at that time? What could you be doing to be, uh, benefit your family or to build your relationships at that point or at some other point during the day? What are you doing that's intentional and what are you trying to achieve as a family? Because if we know where we're going and if we can keep an eye on that goal, we tend to make quite different decisions. It's kind of like the person that's got a fitness goal. And because they've got the fitness goal, they go out and do something about it. Whereas the person who's not thinking about their fitness at all, well, they don't really exercise much and they don't mind eating that Mars bar and that can of Coke three times a day. They just sort of have it because it's there and they're going with the flow and it feels good. So that's the first thing. Have goals. Know what you're working towards. Uh, Carrie, I think that the second thing that I would say is know what your strengths are and know what your children's strengths are and use them every day. Uh, the research on strengths is really powerful. And it says that when we can identify our strengths and when our children can identify their strengths, we feel like we've got something to contribute. And when we use those strengths, particularly when we use them in the service of others, we get massive well-being boosts. And so do the people that we're 
that we're helping. So know what your strengths are, know what your kids' strengths are and use them. A really simple third tip would be to find things to be grateful for. If you want to improve your well-being and if you want your kids to be happy, uh, they're, they're, in fact, most nights, certainly the nights that I'm home, I ask my kids two questions every night. Number one, what are you grateful for? And number two, what are you looking forward to? Because it seems that the best way to inoculate our children against depression and anxiety is to help them to be grateful and to help them to be optimistic and hopeful. And so I love to find out what they're grateful for and what they're looking forward to. Because that means that they're grateful for something and they're looking forward to something. They're optimistic about something. And, and, and you know the difference between going to bed dreading the day you're about to have tomorrow and going to bed looking forward to something tomorrow. And so I want my kids to look forward to something. Uh, look, there, there's a huge list of other things that we can do to make our families happy yeah, and to raise resilient kids. That's great, but, though. You know, I think that's very doable. You know, it's not like, you know, you're asking them to, you know, stand on one leg and hop for 87 hours. You know, these are really easy statements. But as you said, sometimes we get locked into these ways of behaving where it seems like such an enormous effort to break free, yes. free of that for just a moment and say, hey, what happened today that you were really glad happened? Even if you're not using the same language as gratitude or, you know, or any words like that, it's just finding that little bit of strength and that little bit of courage just to break away from that routine that you're stuck in if maybe it's a routine of not even speaking you know the kids dump their yeah. school bag they go that direction you go the other direction but it's just walking towards them and saying to their face hey what happened that went well today and even if the first time you do it their reaction is what do you care or something worse um then it's not giving up and going, well, I tried and it's over. It's like, okay, maybe in a day or two, I'm going to try again and again so that the dynamic shift, because sometimes I think a wheel can start turning in a different direction in a family and it can take, it can be a really hard grind, like a clock that's all the cogs are going in a certain direction and no one knows how to change direction. But I think once one of the cogs start to do the grind and try and change the direction of the dynamics of the house, then eventually the others will start to flow with it. But maybe not straight away. So maybe not giving up straight away when when the response isn't exactly what you hoped for. Would that be I right? Like the, I, I like the analogy. I like the analogy a lot, Carrie. Uh, there, there's there's one more thing, as you were saying that, that, that popped into my head. Uh, you know, that difficulty of trying to get the kids to talk, especially when they come home and you say, how was school? And they go, no, no, no. <laughs> or, or something similarly intelligent. And, and, and what we want to do is we want to go over them and say, hey, I spoke to you. Be, be, be responsive. Speak to me intelligently. Say something that means something. And what we often forget is that when we try to talk to our children, we try to talk to them at times when they don't want to talk um, because they're tired or they're distracted or there's other stuff going on in their lives. If you're having a hard time talking with your children, can I recommend that the best time to talk to them is when they're laying flat on their back in bed? Okay. That last 10 minutes of the night before they go to sleep, especially teenagers, but even little kids. When you sit on the edge of the bed and you put your hand on their leg or on their shoulder and you give them a hug and you say, so is there anything you want to tell me? Is there anything that you're really excited about today? Is there anything that you know went wrong that I need to hear about? Or even if we say, you know, I really blew it today, I'm sorry, and we give them a hug. There's something about that last 10 minutes that's almost sacred each night where we get to be close to them and, and they open up and they talk to us. And, and i got to tell you, they can be some of the most fulfilling moments we have as parents. Yeah, no, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, you've really covered a lot of territory, you know, 
in your research and your work and your speaking, what have you learned about people through your experiences as a parenting expert? Probably the most important thing that I've learned about people is that almost without exception, everybody is trying their best. Uh, it's very, very rare that I meet somebody that just shrugs their shoulders and says, whatever, I don't care. And even they usually do care. They just, it's a protection mechanism. Everybody's trying their best. And, and, and I've learned that if we're willing to look at people as people who have genuine hopes and dreams and desires, uh, and that includes our children, if we're willing to look at them with as if they're real people, you know, when they're crying and they come to you and they say, I'm sad, it hurts. And we just want to say, would you just sit down and leave me alone and all that sort of thing. When we look at them as real people, we, we don't respond to them like that. We, we respond to them with compassion. We respond to them with kindness because we, we can see in them that they really are a good person who is trying to do something good. They just don't know how to do it the right way. Um, I, th I think that that's the most important thing. I came across a great quote the other day as I was doing some study, and it, and the quote was, "To the immature, other people are not real." And sometimes mm. I don't think that, I don't think that we look at our children like they're real. Sometimes, uh, a, a case in point: my eight-year-old came to me sobbing a few days ago, <clears throat> and and when I asked her what was the matter in my kind of distracted and slightly annoyed way because I was in the middle of something quote unquote important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, 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 she was crying and, and, and she held out her hand and she pointed at her sister and she said, she pointed at me. <laughs> and, and I, and I said, what, 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 you mean she pointed at you and that's why you're crying? And she said, yes. And then she broke down and fell on the floor in, in hysterical sobs. And what I wanted to do was say, would you just, stop being so silly would you just get over it but in doing that what i would have been doing is i would have been treating her like she's an object like she's just a thing that needs to be manipulated and pushed around and and that's not what she needed she needed to be treated like a real person it had real meaning it, for her it had real meaning for her and it turns out that there was quite a story behind that finger point <laughs> but had i not been willing to get down on the floor with her and pick her up and hold her while she cried and spend a, a few minutes with her i would never have found out the whole story and never been able to help her to feel better in the way that i did and it made a difference mm. so i think that's that's what i've learned carrie other people are real they are trying and 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 it can be hard but we need to see them especially our children as real people what about you? What have you? And I know you talked about your journey at the beginning, but now here as as an expert in parenting, what have you learned about yourself through your work? Uh, what I've learned is that just because you know a lot doesn't make it any easier to do it. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 really hard. Um, you you know I I know how to be a great parent. I know what the rules are. I know what the science says. Um, I've written the books. I've run the seminars. I, I've got the six kids. And I got to tell you, it's it's still hard work. And if you're a you know if you're a normal mum or dad listening to this, and you're sort of going, oh my goodness, my children are killing me. The the reality is, they're so, they're kind of supposed to. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's really hard. And and I believe that when we find purpose in parenting, when we see parenting as as kind of like a graduate character school. You know, it's where we go to have our characters refined. It changes our approach. We see our, our parenting as an opportunity to, to grow as people. If we see our kids as cretins, then there's no growth for us or for them. We just mm. get mad. 
but but if we see parenting as an opportunity for us to grow our character, uh, it changes our approach, or it's at least it's changed mine, and that's what I've learned is I've got to continually remind myself of the stuff I know so that I can be a good dad. I like that. I like that as like a an opportunity, yeah, to refine those characteristics. And as you said before, make choices about some characteristics that you might want to discard that you don't want to carry with you, um, you know, making those choices daily. And again, I agree with you and I say it all the time that sometimes knowing better doesn't necessarily mean that you can do better easily, that it takes quite a bit of effort and and that's why the show is called The Abnormal Psychologist because, you know, although I've done plenty of research and study and, and work experience, that doesn't make me a knowledgeable sage. You know, I still have days where I, you know, just about could not raise my arms to pack another lunchbox by the end of the school term. Um, yeah, no, I identify with that completely. Now, you've given us some great tips earlier. Is there any other three um rituals or things that you do your for your own health or your health as a parent that you do regularly to keep yourself grounded or focused? Yeah, yeah, there are a couple of things that are probably worth mentioning. The first, and this is also in my upcoming book, is I, I talk about the myth of me time. A lot of parents say you've got to have me time so that you can be good with the family. But the research actually shows that that's not necessarily the case. In fact, many of the parents that I work with will often say, I just need more me time. But the more me time they get, the more of it they want. And it actually can make them more selfish. The research actually shows that rather than me time, we need we time. Okay. That's that's W-E time, not W-I-I, <laughs> by the way. Uh, we need yes. we time. We, we need time together. And so one of the things that I do to recharge and to be a better parent is actually make sure that every day my kids get some of me and that we have we time. Um, every morning before the kids go to school, we have 10 or 15 minutes where we just, we go through the day, we share something uplifting or inspirational or positive. Um, you know, we, we have a, a little gratitude chat or an optimism chat, or we talk about a value or a principle that matters to us. And I find that really energizing. I find that really positive and it's great for the kids. And you, and similarly at nighttime, there's the, the, the bedtime ritual and maybe some tickles and play in the afternoon or something. If we can, if we can squeeze that in the That's second thing. Yeah. Uh, second thing is that I, I, I do something fitness-wise almost every day. Um, I'm, a, I'm a mad cyclist, um, and so I love to get on my bike, even if it's only for an hour. And if I don't have time for that, I'll go down to the local pool and swim. And sometimes to do what I'm doing, I have to get up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning to squeeze it in. But I make sure that I do that. And the third thing um, is I turn off the TV and go to bed. We actually, we, we unplugged the TV about five years ago. We don't have free-to-air TV or pay TV or Netflix or anything like that. About five years ago when we renovated the house, we moved the TV from one wall to another wall and we never plugged it back in. And we it wasn't actually an intentional thing. We just kind of never got around to plugging it back in. And after a couple of weeks, we discovered that we were happier and healthier and most important of all, that we were getting enough sleep. And so that's that's my third tip. If you want to be a good parent, you've got to get enough sleep. You've got to switch off the devices, switch off the TV, go to bed, get your eight hours or whatever you need because that more than almost anything will help you to be a great parent. Wow. There's some great ideas. So, I mean, I really love the information you've been sharing. How can people find you? Like what's the – where? like happyfamilies.com.au, is that the best place? 
It depends on what you're looking for. So there are two different services that I offer. If you're looking for info about parenting generally, if you want to be a better mum or a better dad, if you're looking for some resources, then yeah, happyfamilies.com.au. I've got my podcast there. I've got my blog there. I've got a bunch of eBooks and books and things that people can get a hold of uh, from happyfamilies.com.au. If you're interested in having me come along and speak at your, your, your children's school or at your organization, uh, I've, I've spoken in small businesses with you know 10 employees talking about work-life balance and getting things right at home so that you can get things right at work, uh, right up to big organizations like the Commonwealth Bank and um, an American Express. Uh, same sort of topics, just much bigger organizations. So if, if, if you'd like me to speak, uh, visit justincoulson.com. Uh, and all of my info about speaking is at that website. Wonderful. Well, I've really enjoyed um, you sharing your story and being so honest with us and, and hearing those profound influences. And I love the idea of um, setting goals with your kids about you know what they want to get out of their day, their week, or even their year. I think it's really great to have that direction. And I really enjoyed having you, the TAP listener, with us today. Please spread the word and tell your friends and listen to this great episode with Dr. Coulson and get them to subscribe to TAP in iTunes. And don't forget to give the show a five-star rating if you liked it. And if you enjoy the podcast and learning about strategies to improve your mood and psychological health, please check out CarrieThompsonCasey.com. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.